Ready, Dave? Hey, everybody. This is Jordan and Dave. And this is Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. This is episode two. Dave, what'd you think of the first one? Thought it was great. Yeah. No, it's flawless. I couldn't believe how we didn't mess anything up. Yeah, it really, you know, one day I might have to edit these, but until then. I know, just let it fly. It's just, it's like when you have a gift, you know, the gift, the gift of the gab, as they as say. As they say. As they say, as they might be giants say. Anyway, so today uh, we're going to talk about the first album. Now... Some fans call it the Pink Album. Dave, I actually don't know what you think of of that. I've never, I don't think I've ever called it that. Never called it that? Not a fan of that? Don't think it's a good name for anything. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's like there's a pink, I'm looking at it right now, I'm holding the vinyl, you know, the record here. The the banner on top, I guess, is pink, or the sky. Just a little stripe of pink. I think there's more green than pink. They should call it the Green Album. I think they should call it the Blue Dog Album. <laughs> I actually, there was, there was a topic on the old mailing list or the old news group where it was a debate. It was like <laughs> an intense debate. And it was like, should it be called the Pink Album or the Big Blue Dog Album? I kind of went on the side of it should be called They Might Be Giants. Because yeah. <laughs> the name of the, I feel like that's kind of important, is that you're supposed to see this record and be like, it's called They Might Be Giants. Yeah. Because, you know, you're... You're really presented with like an onslaught of, you know, well, we'll talk about it, but, you know, really crazy material. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> kind of overwhelmingly so. So to me, it's like the title is actually not, it's not just that it's the band name, but it really fits the the tone of the album. I don't think there was a name that you'd be able to give the first album. Yeah. What would you call it? That would encompass it. Wacky Factory. <laughs> I don't know. Wacky Factory? Wacky Factory. That's kind of horrible. Okay. Um, so yeah, I've never called it the Pink Album. I don't disparage those who do. I, I realize I do. if there are fans listening who, who call it the Pink Album proudly and, and loudly, I don't want them to feel bad. You call it that. You go, girl. I want them to know that I disparage them. Yeah. Um, so, so we're going to talk about the first album. There's a lot, you know, they, they have a lot of songs on each album, so there's a lot to talk about. We, we wanted to issue a one retraction from the last episode. I think in the last episode I said, if there's any mistakes, feel free to, to contact us. But what We'll contact ourselves. Yeah, what we didn't <laughs> predict was that we're the most, uh, uh, you know, obsessively, exhaustively uh, self-critical. And uh, we, caught a, you know, we caught an error right away, or rather Dave did. Dave, yeah. do you want to explain your, your so grievous error? The Tramps... <laughs> grievous. The Tramps... Uh, show that was my first show was not new year's eve 1999 it was new year's eve 1998 oh audio boos and hisses <laughs> yeah, i will yeah um which makes a lot more sense because as i was telling jordan in 1999 everyone was so worried about y2k mm-hmm. i can't believe i mistook those they two. shut down the city right there couldn't be a show I would have been thinking about Y2K the whole time instead of what an amazing experience it was. Yeah, I know. I was thinking of Y2K the whole time. Um, for Yeah, for New Year's 1999, I was at my friend Frank's house for a party. Mm. And uh, we were both the 
well, obviously he was the first one there because it's his house. Uh, I think I was the first one there. I don't remember why because I was in the neighborhood. And uh, we were both watching um, the emergency channel. I don't know what the actual name is. Just kind yeah. of like half CW, <laughs> half joking, half serious. Like if there was going to be any news about Y2K. Oh, that's so funny. And um, any and it was just a blank microphone for the most part because nobody was because nothing oh happened. So anytime like an elbow or something of a suit would come into the frame, we'd go, "Oh no, uh, this is it, this is it." Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so I never knew this. That was where 1999. Was I? I actually know where I was because I just I yeah. I where, where were you? 1999. I, I recently digitized all my old Hi8 tapes and I found New Year's 1999 on Uh-oh. it with me with two. Must have been a good New Year's if you didn't remember it. With my friends Matt and and Aaron and there it's a tape of us. You know, actually at one point I play accordion on it. I play Auld Lang Syne on accordion. That's cool. I I picked up the accordion because of you guessed it. Weird out. No, uh, John Linnell. Mm. Uh, you know, really, I really wanted to be a little John Linnell when I was in the junior high and high school. You kind of look like him. I tried to, my yearbook photo, <laughs> maybe I'll post it if, you know, if we ever get some sort of a web space or whatever, but I, my yearbook photo, I was trying to copy the, I was trying to mimic the factory showroom yellow poster of them standing in suits. And I had a yeah, suit I on, that. I did my hair like Linnell, and I tried to make the same kind of hunched, <laughs> <laughs> hunched over pose, like robotic pose and look yeah. staring into the, off to the side, like a weirdo. And my yearbook quote, actually, speaking of the that, first, I, that I know, I this, think. the first album, uh, yeah, my, my yearbook quote is all the people are so happy now their heads are caving in, uh, in case anyone's doubting my fandom still at this point, but so I was just going to say, uh, so if that show was 1998, mm. that would make me 17 years old, a little, little baby. And if you guys were, because I have a late birthday, not going to reveal the date for some reason, if you guys were doing your homework that would leave me at 16 years old the summer okay. that we were starting to listen to them and that you when you guys were trying to get me into them that sounds about right so that leaves me at about two years after i was really listening to like metal and punk music because hmm. about 14 15 was like metallica and misfits and all that punk stuff and then before that was just alternative rock like nirvana and whatever my sister was listening to. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said before them, I didn't even like bands or know that you could be a fan of a band. So yeah, that was 98. I also want to say one more thing about my yearbook quote. The idea was that you're flipping through a a book of a bunch of photos of people smiling. And then you see my quote, all the people are so happy now their heads are caving in. And my, my use of that lyric was to imply we're all unprepared for the future and we're all smiling in this yearbook, but our lives are about to get a lot harder. Very good. (laughs) Okay. That was that was what I was going for. Pretty anyway, clever. So the first album, I guess we should get right into it. Let's dive in. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna play some some clips. We're gonna we're gonna go into this. I guess we should talk about the history a little of of the build up to it. Um, I want to do different a different episode about the demos that they did in the right. early days, especially the the organized demo album, twenty three song right. demo album, because it's like that's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. But I think the important thing is that, so yeah, they were, they started in around 81, right? As a band, first performance. I'm nodding for the listener at home. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the mic, actually the mic is picking that up. It's like it's a like, creaky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so they started in 81, started really being active in 82 and 83 as, as they might be giants. And uh, 
I know. So obviously, obviously, I guess, I guess I'm assuming everyone listening is a fan and knows this stuff, but maybe there's a casual fan who doesn't know. Their first performance was, they were under the name El Grupo de Rock and Roll. Right. Um, I've always wondered, is that a name that they were just called because they were a rock band playing a show with people who, who don't speak English? Or did they say they were, it's kind of vague in their description. They were like, build as El Grupo de Rock and Roll. Like, right. That means they were just called that. It's not like they were like, here's our clever name, right? Right, right. So, so then they named themselves They Might Be Giants. And I know, I, I don't even know where I read this because I actually couldn't find confirmation of this after the fact. An early name they had for themselves was Circle Gets the Square, right? which I find super interesting. Which um, is in that demo, or not demo, that song. Yeah, I think it's a live recording, Sally Boy Candy Bar. Yeah. That's an, that's a, we'll get to, to that at another time. It's one of my favorite of their rare songs. But then they took the name, they might be giants, or they borrowed, or they requested it from a friend of theirs who had a ventriloquist act, who was thinking of naming the act, they might be giants. And they said, oh, can we have that? So... A lot of people make a direct connection that they named it after the film They Might mm-hmm. Be Giants starring George C. Scott. But I think it's, a, I don't even know if they knew it was a film when they asked their friend for the name. I think later on they watched the movie or whatever. And the name is a reference to Don Quixote. Right? <laughs> and there's, there's like, actually, yeah. see, this is really appropriate because as we'll get into with this album, there's just like layers of references yeah. upon references that they're not even direct um there's not a one-to-one direct reference. It's that you kind of have to unravel everything. So yeah, their name is a reference to a reference to a reference. And, uh, you know, I, we, I guess we didn't even talk about the name. I, it's kind of weird. I guess you don't really think about it after years of being a fan. I've always loved the name. I've always not liked how, uh, <laughs> how the press plays with it. And I'd, I've never liked how the whole thing, like they're giants or maybe they're not giants. Right. It's a misunderstanding of what they're doing, which is that the name is not referring to themselves. It's an, as Linnell once said in an interview, uh, I'm like going through my brain files to all those interview clips that I seem to have memorized, but it's an outward looking paranoid name, which is so perfect for the band. But yeah, all the, uh, the headlines about them and the jokes, it, it gets a little annoying. I think they find it a little annoying after 30 years. It gets very repetitive. It gets repetitive. Um, so then they make their demos. They had a bunch of little demos, uh, which I would still look for in record stores if I can ever find them. They had the flexi disc, which is like the prize demo, which had a a very weird old version of everything right is wrong again. And a very different version of you'll miss me. And Jesus, the fucking noise. Either rev up your fucking motorcycle and go (laughs) or shut up. I might edit this out, but this, the, <laughs> we're, uh, my window, bedroom window is near a stop sign on the street. So you have a lot of cars stalling, honking, generally acting like assholes. Anyway, they make their, so they make a bunch of little demos, and then they make their 23-song demo, which is very similar to the first album, but bigger and kind of weirder. Uh, I won't get into that till we exclusively talk about that because i think it's interesting enough to devote an episode to or at least like a half an episode to and then the first album comes out and well so no no i skipped a lot of things the demo gets reviewed in people magazine right uh kind of to their shock and uh because it was like a self-distributed cassette that they gave out personally to people and sold at shows and someone got it and reviewed it in people magazine and they got a record deal and they made their first album 
Do you think people would have found them eventually, no matter what? Or do you really think that review was the catalyst for their entire career? Because that's a that's a pretty rare thing when a band can pinpoint a time before and after their career starts. They seem in interviews to point to that one moment as being the the nexus point of them being a you know getting to quit their day jobs. It's, It's really crazy. I feel like that's just the universe saying like this needs to be a band that everybody knows. It's, I think what it might've, I mean, they're so, especially Flansburg, they really push hard. I mean, I feel like if that didn't happen, maybe they would have been kind of a more, even more underground, but they would have still kept going, you know, maybe like kind of like the residents or something where they're just kind of doing their thing and mainstream people are, you know, maybe only artsy people are into them. And I think the whole record label stuff did kind of have them hammer down no uh fun reference intended oh. hammer down their the the crazy grotesque art quality which i love but i think they kind of whittle it down over the years a little to you know um maybe out of personal just boredom with it or wanting to try different things but i think if they didn't have a major record label they probably would have been even less <laughs> concerned with it than they already are with uh you know, having hit singles or that kind of thing. Not that I'm implying that like a song, like for example, Don't Let's Start is like some sort of a accessible song. I mean, it is and it is and it isn't. Well, you know. Well, I think that's a good segue to something that I was thinking about this album as a whole, which to me, it seems to be an album of incredibly strange, weird, artsy, esoteric stuff. Mm-hmm. Also interspersed with radio singles. John Linnell songs. <laughs> this is what I wanted to talk about. Maybe right off the bat. I mean, I was going to maybe wait till after, but... It's almost uh, like clockwork. Every four songs I noticed, (laughs) it'll be like four songs that are all pretty straightforward. uh, You could say singles or bigger songs, and then four really weird songs, Mm. and then another four singles. (laughs) And you'll see as we go through it, it it kind of uh, makes sense. Something I noticed, so I think as a band, they would frown on people delineating whose song is whose this it's a they might be giant song it's not a john flansburg song it's not a john linnell song right which i respect but as i think most fans (laughs) like me uh are pretty um pretty obsessed with delineating the two because to me this album is surprisingly this is the album is like a flans fest it's like a, it's kind of like a you get like a little flanzalange. I'm gonna keep <laughs> saying different things if you don't. I like that. Yeah, it's it's a few really like classic solid hit single and L songs, yeah. and then a bunch of weird little flan, weird little flansies popping popping their head in there. And uh, I think that's interesting because they didn't really do that again, and th- it makes the album. I think Flansburg almost is more the. Um, experimental type in the songwriting and in the production side you've got a lot of weird little Flansburg songs uh even the ones that aren't little are, are kind of you know and you they're basically genre pastiches which i guess is is hold steady for him for most of their output i i would say yeah i think then, he explores other genres more like i i would be hesitant to to say what a Flansburg song is because it seems like it just takes the it's almost like a the mimic that, that you know that horror movie and almost it takes like the form of whatever genre it's mimicking and it becomes its own weird little or, thing or, and some, or the thing 
It's like the thing. Flansburg's songs are kind of like the thing. And what would Linnell be? Linnell is Kurt Russell, and he's just kind of like Whoa. holding it, holding it all down. And I, like to me, Linnell doesn't have a genre. Linnell writes this. To me, they're Linnell songs. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like. I don't know. I guess you could. They're pop songs, but. Very melody driven, very complex layering. Yeah, like melodies. I don't, except for a few occasions, and I'm not just talking about the first album, but it's not like here's Linnell's country song. Right. Here's Linnell's jazzy song. And Flansburg's really the one that does that. And I don't know what that Im- implies. <laughs> I don't know. But there's only a few Flansburg songs over their whole career that I can be like, this is just a song, you know? Um, maybe more as they That's got a full band. I'd like to explore that. Yes. Well, so let's dive in, uh, since so, we have... So, yeah, um, the first song is every... Oh, man, I can't believe we're doing it. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah. This is where it all changes. <laughs> so the first song is uh, Everything Right is Wrong Again. Everything right is wrong again, just like in the long, long trailer. All the dishes got broken, the car kept driving, and nobody would stop to ever. So, do you like it? <laughs> let's start. Let's start. Let's start there. Yeah, it's a B plus. <laughs> That's all we're gonna do. We're just give litter grades. Yeah, good effort. Um, <laughs> too many lyrics. Not too many enough. notes. Yeah, too many notes. Especially to that end part with the keyboard. No, so yeah, this is a great first song on a first album. It was uh, a great opener. The great opener. I love the you know even the title. Seeing that yeah. when you buy the album and you see that title, um, I think it sets up what they're all about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not these. These are not happy songs. Yeah. These, these are not. Um, you know, these are not life affirming. I think I said in the last episode, I think as a fan, you kind of go, you do kind of a 180 where first you, you luxuriate in the misery of the songs, but then you actually find it more, uh, more hope, more, uh, joyful than if they were to just make songs that were happy songs. Luxuriate in the misery. So, so everything right is wrong again. I, you know, it's funny the way Linnell's lyrics, um, not to keep separating the two, but you know, it's hard not to when you're a fan of this band. Linnell's lyrics, it's like I didn't think of what the song was about for a long time. I just, I kind of, it's like the people review of their, uh, have you ever read the people review? No. I'm going to, I'm going to get that up right here. Cause they have a, they, they say, they describe their lyrics in such a hilarious, almost insulting way. I'm sure it's wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's wrong in a sense. The People magazine review that made them, gave them a record label. Flansburg and Linnell championed the Ogden Nash School of Lyric Writing. The words are nonsense, yet mm. still a lot of fun. So I take exception to, to that, because I, I can see the claim of nonsense. But, so everything right is wrong again to me is like it's a, it's a couple fighting and it's it's a depressing sad song about how you know about arguing it's just about arguing really it's funny because the nonsense aspect again going back to the first episode was something um that i think was repelling me away from the band at first too sure but i think the more you dive into it like and and lanella said you know sometimes he is using words that just um fill the syllables (laughs) which i don't know you could take that with a 
grain of salt. I take a lot. I think Linnell is a little modest and doesn't yeah. like he doesn't like he's... saying how much of a genius he is because that doesn't really look good on anyone. So this wasn't in the People magazine article. I was wrong, but there is a very early review of theirs that says it's as if it's an alien in your cereal bowl, <laughs> just talking gibberish to you or something to that effect. And I always thought that was kind of funny. It's not totally wrong. <laughs> it's not totally wrong, especially like Flansburg really on this album really kind of is, you know, coming from out of nowhere. It's funny. I didn't really want to spend too much time on the interpreting, but I, I guess my I'm trying to make a, a grander point, which is that um, the songs are are there for you to discover and that the topics, what the songs are about. And I have quotation marks. I see it. Yeah. He's doing it folks. Because I, I think, I think song lyrics are more complicated than this is about this. This is about that. I think they're kind of a mishmash of a bunch of feelings and ideas and surreal, surreal stuff, but that's a whole other topic. But, um, I relate to everything right is wrong again. Right. I relate to it. I, I understand it when he says you're a, a weasel overcome <laughs> with dinge. It's like, I wouldn't have written that line. I don't know who else on the planet would have, but he's saying you're a fucking asshole. And <laughs> I think my wife has definitely called me that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, weasel overcome with dinge is kind of hilarious. It's kind of funny. Um, I think it's, you know, a lot of their songs claim to be uh, fictional characters, nar- narratives, unreliable narrators. And, uh, that one might be. I do. I do think they play it down. How autobiographical some of them might be. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if yeah. something inspired the the topic. But um, that's something I'm very curious about too. Uh, just in general, because I don't, I don't know how well you could write um, from that perspective if you don't feel something, some kind of connection. There's got to, it. yeah. If not a life experience, at least like a a feeling. I mean, there's got to, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think they're these like detached right, artsy right. people. I think maybe some, maybe Flansburg. <laughs> I don't know for some reason this is, and by the way, everyone, I'm just, to- this is yeah, conjecture. This is conjecture. I, I don't know. I feel like both of them probably feel things very deeply. Yeah. Cause they're artists. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, we're both artists. Maybe so. <laughs> So anyway, um, I love the song. I love the whole uh, breakdown in the the middle, you know, when it gets half tempo or whatever. What was your, you think you know more about beats and time signatures? I mean, not really, but. (laughs) Okay. Um, I used to think he was saying every frog is waltz again. (laughs) And uh, I did not notice that that lyric was wrong because of a lot of the, you know, their other lyrics. Uh, Well, it's also funny, like in doing this podcast, I'm, trying to get every lyric correct that I hear. And I've been mishearing a Mm. ton of stuff Yeah, that I don't necessarily think, you know, takes away anything from the song. No, (laughs) But yeah, I didn't realize they were saying every four is waltz uh, until recently. Linnell's accent in some of his vocals to me is, is very untraceable. It's almost, um, it's almost, uh, I've just never heard it anywhere. The way he, uh, an alien. Yeah. He's an alien in your cereal bowl. Yeah. What cereal do you picture when, when you, you think of that? I picture, you know how there was Count Chocula and there was... They're still around. Well, let me finish. <laughs> and there's, what's the other one? Booberry. Yeah. There's a third one. Yummy Mummy. The, okay. What's Fruit the, Brute. There's two. You, there's two. Yeah. What's the ghost one? Is there a ghost one? Booberry. There's Booberry. Okay, right. That's... The well-known one. What's the other one? You're saying it's brute, yummy fruit? mummy, or fruit brute? So there's five. He's <laughs> yeah. He's yes. He's 
yummy mummy. And of course, Frankenberry is the the really big one for the band. If you uh, exactly if you know what we're talking about, which some of you might not, and that's fine. You, you do your own homework. I think the cereal would definitely be yummy mummy. Okay. We, let's what do you, which one do you think it is? No, I don't want to move I on. just imagine like a lucky chart, like a very colorful cereal. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of psychedelic. I imagine that imagery is like very psychedelic to me. So the other thing about the couple fighting, you know, he's saying everything right is wrong again, just like in the long, long trailer. And long, long trailer is a Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball movie, which right. I've actually really been wanting to see for years and I haven't. I've seen it. What the, what? Years ago. How is yeah. it? It's good. It's, I mean, it's, it's like the show. It's like everything they do. It's very quick-witted. Uh, it's very back and forth. I mean, every kind of comedy was like that back then, 100 jokes per minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very packed, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a caper. It's yeah. madcap. So, so using that, so this is sort of the start of something I wanted to go in depth here, which is like the, there's so many references on this album. Yeah. Almost in every song. Um, there's a, re- a pop culture reference in, you know, in some way, long, long trailer. Like I watched the trailer <laughs> for it and, uh, I was like, yeah, this seems like the song to me. Like it fits. Yeah. It's not like a completely out of nowhere reference that makes me confused. All hilarity breaks loose as we hit the road in a blaze of glorious matrimony. There's nothing like travel to bring two people closer together. I didn't tell you to turn right. You said turn right here, and I turn right. You didn't let me finish. I was trying to tell you to turn left. What I was trying to say is you turn right here left. Every honeymoon has its ups and downs, but when you go on a honeymoon with Lucy, uh, it's just a breeze. It's almost a song about being on the verge of divorce. Yeah, so it's like a couple fight, and the long the it's not just the reference to the movie, but the long, long tra- like kind of the exhausting sound of right, those words a long marriage long long it's it's yeah so that that's what i like i always love uh talking more on the musical side i always love the wacky keyboard <laughs> that yeah. comes in just like a long long trailer all the dishes got broken and the car kept driving and uh, towards the end i think when i was younger and just getting into them and i heard that i was like okay this is this appeals to my little hyperactive brain who wants to hear you know. Well, I also think that's a very intentional decision for them because we talked a little bit about how they tried to do everything they could, especially early on, to get noticed. Yeah. Um, Performance-wise, but also musically. I think, especially when you listen to this album, they're throwing in kind of everything they possibly can, and I think they're really packing in each song. Yes. Um, Almost like there's a hyperactivity to it for anyone, uh, you know, for fear of anyone getting bored. So I, I think... You know, while I would say their first four albums are all pretty uh, difficult to play for someone who's never heard them because it, it, they sound so... Th- the first one is particularly an album where, to me, it's normal because I've heard it eight billion right. times. But if I happen to be playing it and someone is in the room, let's say at, at my old jobs I've had, I would play They Might Be Giants music, you know, and... Uh, it really stands out in this one how not normal these songs are, whether it's the this the the drum machine sounds ultra ultra robotic and uh for lack of a better word fake on this album even more than the the next few, even though it's all you know synth um it's, well, by Apollo eighteen it had a much more natural sound yeah, I mean 
yeah, by Apollo 18, it's, they're almost for at least for a, a bunch of songs there. It almost seems like they wish they just had a drummer. Right. It sounds <laughs> like a real band. Yeah. But the, the way the drum machine is mixed and the, 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 the patterns, the patterns in the playing, the hi-hat, all that stuff is very... It's very electronic. Yeah, it's stuff that I think Flansburg in an interview, going to my interview database again, said, you know, it's, it's things that if they had a real drummer, his head would explode. Right. Um, though, you know, they've had amazing drummers that could actually do <laughs> that stuff, which blows my mind. This album, even more than, than the following ones, you know, even though this whole period is pretty fun and loose for them, but this album is... It's just, <laughs> I love how inaccessible it is in, in some sense. I mean, not to me, and I think not to people who are inclined to like this kind of stuff. And obviously there's more, there's music that's more inaccessible than them, you know. Right. Like The Residents. Yeah, like The Residents. <laughs> but it, it, there's a kind of like just they're, this the tone of the whole album is that they're just so excited to get these songs in front of your face. And there's no real guitar solos for a, a long time in their career. There's no fat. It's all just, here's the song. It's over in, you know, maybe like 70 seconds. That's what I mean. They jam so much stuff in the first album into each song. Yeah. It's very schizophrenic almost. And yet I, I've, I've read interviews where they'll mention how stripped down the first album is. And, and I never thought of it that way because there's so many interesting sounds. But when you listen to it with that in mind... It actually is pretty stripped down. A song will be like one guitar and drum machine and, um, you know, bass, synth bass and maybe like a little keyboard noise. But they said that they had a ton of limitations making this, uh, which is so interesting to me because to me it's always sounded really full and it's actually very inspiring to me in terms of arranging music. Be like, keep as few tracks as you can, but kind of push it all to the front so that you're really hearing everything something i don't really do <laughs> i tend to make a lot of tracks and then uh kind of make a subtle bury them you know in the soundscape anyway it seems to be the more i do music that it's all about uh the take the performance then layering hmm. so in other words if you have let's say you have an awesome vocal take awesome guitar take awesome drum and bass take that will have more of an impact than if you have lackluster takes and add further lackluster takes guilty so i you know and same with me too when i was recording early on you know i double vocals and double triple guitars but if you just have one that's really focused and really Mm -hmm. uh you know gets the mood across and gets whatever the message is across it'll be a lot more impactful so before we move on to the next track, is there is there a particular line in this song? I thought it'd be interesting if we there's something that sticks out to either of us in the songs. The line, uh, "Wake me when it's over, touch my face." Ooh, yeah. See, that's 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 a great example of why I don't like when they're called nonsense lyrics or aliens in your cereal lyrics because yeah. it's like that's just like a a very sensual you know, emotional line. I mean, that's like a, you know, that's, there's nothing funny about that line. Yeah. It's defeated and kind of, it, it implies a, a relationship that's kind of sad and exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really like the healing doesn't stop the feeling. Cause it, to me, it reminds yeah. me of when you, you got over a fight with your significant other, but it, it, it's not like it just went away. Like you could bring it up a year later. Right. <laughs> always, I, yeah. I feel like saying touch my face instead of uh, 
using another description of it. Touch my face means it can mean a very cold, impersonal way oh my God, to connect so with someone. That's what I always thought of anyway. Like, you know, let's say your uh, significant other wakes you up by touching your face. Yeah. Uh, to me, that implies a coldness. That's interesting. It makes me think of face off, the little gesture <laughs> in face off that they do. With- That's the second thing it makes me think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So, track two, put your hand inside the puppet head. As your body floats down through, see with the burn smell factory closing up. Is it sad to say you will romanticize all the things you've known before? Um, it's a big one. This is a big one. To me, this is almost... So, my thing about Flansburg on this album, I'm kind of obsessed with what he's doing. Every Flansburg song on this album... More than all the others, especially especially all the others, he's doing like a voice. He's doing like a funny voice or a grotesque voice or a weird voice. This to me is sort of the only real voice Flansburg song. And when I say real, I don't want to see. I'm so afraid of of annoying. They might be Giants fans. (laughs) Um, My whole goal for this podcast was to do the kind of podcast that would not annoy me as a fan. I guess what I mean is putting on a, a character voice. So I don't mean it in a way that's bad because I think it's awesome to put on character. Well, as voice. we said, he's sort of a mimic and that's, yeah, that's true with his vocal styling the too. Yeah. yeah. He, he can do a lot of different kinds of musical voices. Yeah. Um, and this one is kind of his, you know, standard this, go-to this voice. This to me feels like it's him. It's him. And, and when they, they brought the song back for their live shows, not, too recently but you know in the past i mean time is moving very fast lately for yeah. for us all but uh it felt kind of recent like oh they're doing puppet head again and, and it's like yeah it um on in a singing way it fits but then when they do something like you know absolutely bill's mood or something it's like oh flansburg has to like kind of do a little performance right. now because this is not a normal you know singing uh experience for him so for me puppet head's interesting in that sense um it's interesting to me in the sense that John Linnell wrote the chorus. Were you aware of that? I did not know that. Buckle up, <laughs> mother. Anyway. I'm um, sure there's a ton of stuff that you know that I don't. Yeah. I mean, this was a shock to me when I saw him say that in an interview. Um, this is linked on the Wikipedia, so I'm not going to take credit for uh, you know discovering that or anything. But um, I think the point is you do more research than me. Yeah. As we established last episode, I'm a lazy it's, man. It's not so much research as it is just like my brain is open to constantly absorb <laughs> anything about them and it holds it there forever. Um, so yeah, Linnell said he wrote a, a song and he, he didn't like the verses, but he gave it to Flansburg to rewrite the verses and he kept the chorus. How bad do you want to hear <laughs> that original <laughs> version Linnell song called "Put Your Hand Inside the Bob Headed." What were the lyrics? What was the verses like? I'm, it just drives me kind of crazy. I'm I'm awake all night thinking of this. <laughs> to me, I feel like when he says he didn't like it or wasn't good enough, it's pro. It was probably a fine song, but it reminds me of, um, for example, that song "Rocket Ship." Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Where it's like maybe it didn't fit what the chorus was, or maybe if it was uh, too disparate tonally or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think one of the good things about their professional relationship is they always seem to know what the uh, what is best for the other in terms of putting into a song uh, as a cohesive unit. 
Yeah. So it might just have been something like that. I don't, it was maybe, probably good. Maybe he saw more potential because it was their first single and I think, right? Uh, right? At least it was their first music video. Um, so maybe he saw actually more potential like with, with Rocket Ship. He's like, this doesn't have to be a weirdo song. It's going to be like a real legitimate single. Um, I do think it's one of the songs on the album that legitimately sounds what one would call dated because of the the beat and the reverb in the drums right you think it sounds too 80s yeah so the other songs have a little bit more of like a dry like sort of what i was saying before the drums are very upfront in the mix and dry and kind of crazy sounding this one has that kind of you know it has a dancey 80s drum beat and when i was first getting into them and that actually kind of threw me i was i felt it almost felt a little cheesy um i don't feel that at all even in the slightest these days and i i notice people i know seem to pick out this like i you know my girlfriend really responded to the song very quickly when i was playing her they might be giants you know so i thought that was an interesting maybe that led to it being a single maybe it was intentional let's put more reverb on the drums to, to make it a single I, I don't know memo to myself do the dumb things i gotta do touch the puppet head quit The the other thing I wanted to mention as a reference, and I don't think you knew this, this song has an interesting reference to an Elvis song called Guitar Man, and I'm going to play a clip of that. While I quit my job down at the car wash, I left my mama a goodbye note. By sundown, I left King. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, isn't that, does that amaze that's, you? Because uh, that was that a late. It really does. That was a late discovery for me. And that sounds like it's a good song. It's a good song. We're, we're going to stop, we're going to cancel this podcast and do a. Let's do an Elvis, Elvis podcast. Elvis podcast. <laughs> I don't think anyone's doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. We got to get the word out about this guy. Um, so, yeah, the gu- Guitar Man as a whole seems to be kind of about like a kind of a blue collar musician kind of thing. Like I'm I'm just a guitar man, just like I'm, I'm you know, I'm doing this and that. I'm quit my quit my crappy job and I'm just going to play guitar and do my thing and kind of unpretentious, you know, in an unpretentious way. So, again, we're, we're two songs in. We already have two <laughs> references. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that reference is important because to me, I mean, Puppethead to me is also... Another thing that stands out, I mean, it's a lot of lyrics. It's like a kind of a, kind of a, 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 a salt of incredible, to me, it's like incredible Flansburg lyrics that, you know, really stand apart from a lot of other songs they've done. There's so many syllables. There's a lot a, of them you're not even getting out. Yeah, too many syllables. Um, it took me so long to realize he was saying burn smell factory. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that, Does that shock you? Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Um, oh dear! This is a song whose lyrics I, I also kind of similar to what I said. It, it kind of passed over me, and I didn't really think about them. But then I I, I love them. I I really I, Flansburg has a lot of songs about work, a lot of songs about hating work. I relate. <laughs> Do you think that comes to his uh, parking? car job yeah he, he worked in, in a parking garage where he learned he taught himself how to play guitar in the little booth um kind of like on a better call Saul or whatever. right <laughs> mike yeah there's i love that sentiment because one it's not done a lot 
that I've seen in pop songs. Um, Andy Partridge from XTC writes about it a lot. He writes a lot about having a boring job and not making a lot of money. Well, I guess like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> That's true. I stand bon corrected. Jovi. I stand corrected. Okay, so it is a typical thing, but I always find it kind of, at least when it's done in, in the right way, or the right way sounds a little like... It seems more down and dirty when, yes. when he does it. It seems a lot more relatable. Not in, uh, Not this grand idea of like pursuing your dreams yeah <laughs> on, you know making or, a stand well, and a rebellion I, I think the bruce springsteen thing is more about having dignity in your right. blue collar job whereas flansburg as an artsy it's like getting through the hipster Bro- brooklyn <laughs> yeah. artsy new york scene guy is like there's no dignity in having a crappy <laughs> job like this i want to do art and you blow people's minds so i i relate to that because i've i've never been able to feel comfortable in a in a normal job um Though, by the way, did you know that Down and Dirty was the original name of, of the album? But I can't tell if you're joking or not. It's Well, it was called Down and Dirty, and I think Linnell, Linnell wrote the down part, and Flansburg <laughs> came up with and dirty. Now I really don't know if you're joking. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it didn't go with... I think when they put it on that cover art, it didn't really work, so they, they took it off. Anyway, yes, I love, puppet, I love Put Your Hands Up Inside the Puppet Head. Uh, I think the lyrics are... are Really, I mean, I'm staring at them now on the screen here. Burn Smell Factory, I never uh, knew what that was, but now I kind of <laughs> I get that it's just really describes what the, you know a certain area in Brooklyn is like. Um, I think it's interesting, he says, as your body floats down Third Street, and then they have the other song, I'll Remember Third Street, which was the original version of Spacesuit. Did you ever make that connection? You f- Not until just now. There you go. But that's that's why, why I'm here. That's why we do this. That's why we do this. I also always thought this song was either indirectly or directly about their friend with the ventriloquist act, right? Explain. (laughs) So a puppet head (laughs) and putting your hand inside one is Ah. one would, uh, one could connect that to what a ventriloquist does. Do you know what a ventriloquist is? Explain. So a ventriloquist is a... (laughs) weirdo uh so yeah a friendless weirdo so to me it's almost funny on first listen i thought put your hand inside the puppet head is like a defiant quit your day job and do your weird ventriloquist thing but what i realize i think is it's the opposite is that he's he's connecting the ventriloquist job as the boring (laughs) day job Mm. because he's saying if if only it was busted in uh we'd be you know we'd be free or whatever. I know that's not the line, but I'm the more the sentiment. I mean, I could be totally wrong. I want to put out there that I, I was hesitant to want to interpret songs, but it's kind of hard not to when yeah. you're talking about them. And the reason I was hesitant is because I never want anyone to think that I'm some sort of, I know what I'm, <laughs> what they're thinking or even what I'm thinking. Uh, these are just kind of instinctual responses I have to the lyrics, but you know, I think it's okay to interpret once in a while. Yeah. Once in a while. Um, so yeah, to, to me, I think it's funny that he's kind of making their, this ventriloquist thing out to be, a a, a drudgery, yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas you would almost associate it with the artsy weird New York scene. Makes me think of Batman and the villain, the ventriloquist, the ventriloquist and Scarface, you know, uh, this is, you know, so, I said that so that you would get all revved up and started so, about another topic. Hold, hold I've always uh, been very adamant about um, ventriloquists should be played in a live action, you know, story by William H. Macy. And I, I really feel strongly about this. And I think he would, it, it kills me that this isn't a thing that exists. 
And uh, I wanted to know your opinion on that. I, I mean, you've told that to me many times. <laughs> no, and, I uh, haven't. <laughs> at least three times. But uh, yeah, I agree. He has that... Uh, Nebbish. <laughs> I was going to say he has that quality to him where something is always bubbling under the surface. <laughs> yeah, where he, I mean, he plays yes. that kind of role a lot where in, he in, explodes. Like Fargo, in the end. there's like an evil under underneath his his and like boogie neurotic. nights neurotic. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. He would be so good. As imagine with a bow tie and little I glasses. Can. I, I think you're right. Nolan, don't do it. Yeah, someone else. <laughs> I don't, you're not one of my favorite directors, but someone else. Come on. Anyway. Anyway. I'll say this about I'll say this about Puppethead. Uh, something that annoyed the hell out of me back in the day on the They Might Be Giants mailing list is everyone thought that the Simpsons episode where Homer writes a suicide note on a memo that, that says dumb things I got to do. Oh. Everyone thought that was a reference to put your hand inside the puppet head. Um, while possible, I really they're both just referencing the same thing, which is these little memo pads you'd buy at a little souvenir shop right. or something or a. Hallmark store or whatever. So I wanted to put that out there. I don't think the Simpsons referenced put your hands on the puppet head. The thing that just sticks out to me is sure. just any time you're talking about a puppet, because I, I just find puppets disturbing uh, in their nature. I think they do also. I never, like, as a kid, I never liked puppets. It's like this thing that's real but not real, and, you know, who the fuck made you, God, to bring this thing to life? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I never liked the concept. I, I still don't like puppets today. I just watched The Legends of Tomorrow that had a ventriloquist dummy just, as a little serious, possessed by a serial killer. They're creepy. I don't like them. And we should move on. I have more literature about <laughs> yeah. it in my car. Let me go get it. Yeah. I guess I'll say a, a favorite line for me is the, the sub, uh, ads up in the subway are the work of someone trying to please their boss. And though the guy's a pig. I can even stop it there. I just love that he calls someone a pig. I, I like when they're, I like when they're mean <laughs> in their lyrics. That's very mean. Yeah, it's a mean thing to say. No one, you know. Though I think pigs are smart and cute, but you know, I don't think that's what he was going for. <laughs> um. So what's we, next? What's next? Uh, the next song. I wonder why they put this uh, as the third track. It's called Number Three. There's only two songs in me, and I just wrote the third. Don't know where I got the inspiration or how I wrote the words. Spent my whole life just digging up my music's shallow grave for the two songs in me and the third one I just made. The third single in a row. The third single in a row. And I wanted to play this for you because I can't believe that I was able to find this so easily. Um, the sample. Oh, shit. That, <laughs> the sample from the thing that is in the song. Check this out. Wow. So what the fuck is that? So that's Skinny Lena. And it's by, I've got the info here. What language is that? It's a little alien in your cereal bowl. <laughs> uh, the language. Yeah, that is by Lou Monte. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't, I'm not familiar with his yeah. work. Um, but so he, Linnell took a record of that that was in 6-8 time signature and he changed the time right. signature to make it 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, he talked about that in the, yeah. the early years notes. But I, I just wanted to play that because I thought that was super interesting. I'd never heard it before. I've been a fan for half my life more than that and uh yeah. oh god more than that i'm old the only thing i have to say about this song is uh when my wife heard it she said that sample reminded her of a walrus playing a tuba <laughs> yeah 
And I think that's pretty accurate. That would be a good t-shirt. <laughs> that could be that should be our logo for the the art on the podcast. Oh, snap. This is a song. I guess one of the only things I wanted to talk about we've I don't know if this might be the first real, well, besides the zombie in Puppethead, though I, I don't think it's obviously a literal zombie. First real death reference with my music's shallow grave. Now, this band, most of their songs are about death or mention death. We're going to keep a tally. Oh, God, we're not, because I don't have the time. But I've spent my whole life digging up my music's shallow grave. I love that line. It's very funny to me. <laughs> this seems, I don't, you know, obviously I think this is a character song, but it's it, like we said, I don't think they could have, someone who didn't have some feelings about their songwriting and, you know, their career couldn't, you know, have written it in a certain way. Uh, I, I like that they have so upfront on their album in the number three track that they are already kind of giving up and yeah. <laughs> don't know if they have enough music. Uh, that, when they yeah. had, you know, obviously a bunch of stuff uh, in their backlog already. Yeah. But I think that's a very interesting choice. That is hilarious. To, to put that in the beginning of the album and say we're done. And and I think the the humor of that is also a good place to talk about the the band with and comedy because they're sometimes they're called a, a you know they're they're referred to as being funny. Uh, I know they hate being called a novelty band. I think we talked about that already. It's like what do you do when you have a band that has very funny lyrics, but they don't. It, but then when when someone I'm talking to says that they're funny, I get annoyed. You know, right. I, I get defensive, and, and they do too. I remember my favorite uh, Flansburg interview moment, and I, I don't remember where this was from, but he said at their early shows when they were starting out, he used to see what the audience was responding to them, how, how they were responding, and go, why are they laughing? Yeah. And I've had that experience at my shows. I've played songs that I think are very sad, and the audience is laughing. And it's not that I'm unaware of of you know it's not that the lyrics are devoid of wit at all but to me it's like well there's a certain kind of humor that's a sad humor or a a strange humor where laughing out loud doesn't seem to be the the normal response at least to me do you think there's a wrong way uh, and i'm being serious <laughs> yeah I know, um, I know for an audience to enjoy music or is that I feel like it'll too... make me sound like a uptight jerk to say yeah, but I, I guess I shouldn't say yes. But in my is that I, way too loaded a topic? That's a big topic. I I think that I've played They Might Be Giants for strangers and they'll laugh. And it's like I said, to me, laughing is like, well, you're not hearing it. You're not hearing what's happening there, right? And I know for my own music, like I used to put it up on this music review site where anonymous people reviewed your songs and, and you reviewed 20 songs and everyone was doing it. it was I remember that. Half the people said my song sounded like children's songs. Right. And it drove me crazy because it, that was never an intention and I never saw it that way or heard it that way. <laughs> the lyrics were usually about kind of complicated, mature ideas, I thought at least, or at least stuff about relationships or self hate and other stuff. So when I get a review that says this is children's music and this happens to they might be giants too. Uh, I'm talking about before they made legitimate children's music. Um, it always, it was a little frustrating. And number three is a song that has a lot of funny lines. I mean, it's the concept is funny. Putting a song called number three as your third track is funny. And like you said, having them throw in the towel right. <laughs> at the third song is very funny. Um, 
But to me, it's not like I can say the joke of this song is blank because the lyrics, like their other lyrics, are ambiguous and they have kind of a, almost like a dream imagery to them. Well, but, I think they can't help but be funny because they're, they're smart, they're observant people. And I think the same way people, you know, react to you and laugh a lot uh, at <laughs> your live just shows. Just walking down the street. Just oh. walking down the street or <laughs> yeah, anything my like shows. that. Yeah. Your, your personality, one's personality shines through kind of no matter what they want to put over it. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, it's, I mean, we have friends in, in the comedy field too. And it's kind of yeah. like people that are funny can't help but be funny. And people can't help laugh at people like that. People that are, that don't have it that quality that makes people laugh will never that's get spunk. it. Spunk? <laughs> no. Um, so I Put feel spunk. like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like maybe in another lifetime they could have been comedy writers or stand-up comedians or... I know. I, work on I, I am dying to see, like you know, they, they used to, they talked about how they were at, in their high school paper. They would draw comics and have parody yeah. articles and they had a whole thing. I am dying to see that stuff. I think it's probably hilarious. Um, I know comedians have talked about the wrong kind of laughs, you right. know, it's like you yeah. want, there's, a, you know, I, I totally get it. I, it's weird though, because it always makes you seem insecure and kind of neurotic when you don't like the way someone's reacting exactly right. But I am what I am. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to, uh, <laughs> we're out of steam already. Let's move I'm on. I'm good. I'm good. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to track four which is the, the name of this podcast and i i think uh i don't it was a little rude of them to not ask us permission but yeah but uh don't let's start is the song so again this goes with my theory of four singles and then four weirdo <laughs> so, songs this so, is the last of the group of singles oh yeah sure um well it might be a little debatable but uh oh we'll see so don't let's start i, I don't even this is almost like a lot of pressure like this is one of the their greatest, you know, achievements. As, it's our namesake. Yeah. We probably listened and looked at the lyrics of this a lot. Well, I did to come up with a uh, logo for the podcast. By the way, Dave drew the logo and I, I love the logo and Thank I hope you. you love the logo. Uh, it's something I was very happy with how it came out. And for me to say that says a lot. <laughs> this is true. So, uh, I want to not go too deep into the lyrics, but I, I always say that and then I do. But one thing I'll talk about the music with this song, besides how unbelievably melodically, like if the, if, if the other songs before this were melodic and catchy, I feel like this one really reveals what Linnell is capable of in terms of songs that like will not leave your head. Don't, don't let's start. This is the worst part. Could believe for all the world that you are my precious little girl. But don't, don't, don't let's start. I've got a weak heart and I don't get around how you get around. And I remember when I was first getting into them, it was songs like this that I just couldn't believe existed. Like, I couldn't believe a song could be so melodic and catchy. I just remember being blown away. But one thing I I don't think uh, gets enough credit is this song is like all Flansburg's guitar. Yeah. Think about that. I have. Think on that. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's... Jordan's turning his chair around and sitting in it uh, to really lay on some knowledge. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 this is one of those stripped down songs. There's not a lot of instruments because what Flansburg is doing on just like, I think it's just like really one guitar track, but maybe there's a double, but he's really carrying the, the vibe of the song. And 
And it's also, it's not just that, it's that it's a strange kind of playing. He's carrying the rhythm too. Yeah, he's, yeah. you know, but the the scratchy playing for the, like, let's say the, the bridge, D world, well, the song has an interesting structure, but the, the I guess the first bridge or whatever, post-chorus, D world destruction part. D world destruction, over and overture, and do I need a boss to be it's, it's going like, ding, ding, it's going to sound great in the mic, but like, ding, 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 ding. Like, I can't, I've tried to replicate it. I don't know what he's doing. It's sort of, it's like you have to have his hands to do it. And one time, Dan, Mr. Dan Miller, their guitarist, uh, so he was my guitar teacher for like almost a year. What? Truth bomb. This is a, tr- <laughs> yeah, this is like a weird thing to reveal at the, uh, you know, out of nowhere. But um, do you have a, an audio ready for a truth bomb? I do. Um, there it is. I'm going to use it. I'll lower the pitch, but yeah. so it's exactly what I was thinking. Dan Miller was my guitar teacher, uh, you know, and I we it, all c- cards were on the table yet again. <laughs> Holy moly! Uh, that he knew I was a big fan, and but he also knew but you that kept it, it in your pants. He also knew that I really wanted to learn to play guitar better, and uh, what better motivator than someone in your favorite band? Uh, I would not be able <laughs> judging to, you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be scared shitless to get but one lessons thing, from. James Hetfield or something or <laughs> be any of too. but one thing that uh he talked about was that he's like I'm blown away by Flansburg's playing and don't yeah, I remember start. you talking about that you're saying uh yeah because I never thought of it before because I never thought of it as a guitar I just thought I just heard Linnell singing and I just never I didn't um separate the pieces of that song I think he mentioned um Birdhouse and Your Soul too right he's as, talked more about the chord progression yeah. of Bird. he talks about that in Gigantic so that that wasn't to me um that was in the movie, but um, I confuse movies with real life. Yeah, <laughs> like the thing, and yeah. So well, count the references for this fucking podcast. So Flansburg's guitar playing in that song—it goes from scratchy, and then it goes to that kind of um, tremolo, like single. So this is something that be, really becomes a staple of the way their songs are arranged. Which I'm is going to go home and look up what tremolo means. Which is Flansburg. Uh, Flansburg plays these single notes on the guitar, usually kind of descending notes or something. And he, he, he does this in so many songs that when Weird Al parodied They Might Be Giants later on, he has a guitar doing that, yeah. like, down, So, you know, this song, it, it goes from just the, the, the rhythm thing of ding, 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 ding. But then that scratchy thing, and then the well, that scratchy thing is sort of a soul. Yeah, it's like a, it's kind of a soul technique on guitar. It's, it's very seven. It's soul um, oh, like seventies like funk, soul. like funk, funk, funk soul R and B. It's like, like funk, se- but it's very seventies influence. But it's not as polished. Ear. It's like it's not as polished as that. It's through, funk it's playing. through their uh, lens, so yeah. everything is a little distorted and weirder. Yeah, exactly. So, so I love that. I wanted to give Flansburg a shout out because I really do think that song is a great example of their collaboration where one, one of them has written a song, but the other one brings it to life in, in their way, which I don't know if that happens all the time. I don't know how, how involved they each are at, for each song, but that one to me is clear that, you know, unless Linnell recorded some guitar parts, but I, I really think Flansburg, especially if you compare it to the demo, which we'll talk about another time. You know, Flansburg really transformed that into a a big hit single for them. Something that's always been super mysterious in these lyrics is when Linnell says, Deputy dog, dog a ding dong, depa depa. It's hard to even say. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Etc. I always thought it was the uh, quote nonsense lyrics. I never thought about it. And then when I was 
really trying to prepare for this episode and really reading the lyrics, I, I realized, you know, this is a song about an overbearing, overprotective man. Maybe he's a father or a significant other. You, I don't know if you know, but uh, he's saying, calm yourself down and don't, don't go out, out on the town with the boys. And you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Is this, is this, you're looking, you're just staring at me. Is this, uh, does this resonate with you? It does. I'm just thinking of all these things for the first time, though. Um, yeah, it's yeah, that's good. Especially because, well, one of the fun things about doing this podcast was how much uh, dedication you were putting into it, and then <laughs> you know, texting me, bringing in like, "Did you know this? Did you know that?" And then mm-hmm. me looking it up after the fact. So it's it's really just adding a whole other layer to this fandom. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting because I didn't know any of this stuff either. So. Deputy Dog. Lay it on me. Here it comes, the Deputy Dog Show, starring that lovable lawman with a badge of tin and a heart of gold, good old Deputy Dog. Come back here, you food-grabbing... What, I, what I'm seeing this, and again, I've never thought about this, and I am obsessed with them. I've never thought about this, but you know, the, the Deputy Dog reference is just connects so perfectly because I went to the Deputy Dog Wikipedia page <laughs> where someone you know who has a very particular interest uh, filled this <laughs> out, and he says... Many of the storylines involve Deputy Dog protecting his produce from Muskie and Vince, battling with some of the peculiar locals and trying to please the sheriff. However, most of the crimes committed by Muskie and Vince weren't treated seriously, and Deputy Dog was on friendly terms with them most of the time, except when he had to perform his duties as a lawman and keep them from causing trouble. Uh, Deputy Dog would pal around with... Dave is riveted right now, by the way. <laughs> Deputy Dog would pal around with... Well, mus- I, I love that expression, palling around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deputy Dog, it's kind of what we do, yeah. in a way. We're real yeah, buddy pals. It, if you think about it. Deputy Dog would pal around with Muskie and Vince just as often as he would lock them up in the jailhouse. So... Was that a Hanna-Barbera cartoon? Terry Tunes. Hmm. So anyway... <laughs> Glad I asked. I, I guess my, my larger point is is that this narrator of the song is being a deputy dog. He's being overprotective. He's jailing up. It's someone that he loves, just like it said, deputy dog pals around. The narrator of the song is palling around with this girl. Maybe I, I do kind of lean towards like it's his daughter, but you know, you don't really know. Um, um, my precious little girl, you know, I always saw it as, um, a girlfriend, like girlfriends sleeping around. Um, I could see that too. I could see either side, but so he's being a he's being a deputy dog. God damn it! So I, I would say the narrator of the song is a lovable lawman in a way. He he loves the person he's trying to protect, uh, but he has to put his he has to put his foot down or his paw down. So here we have another example of what might be a nonsense reference that's actually very exactly. very deep and layered and well thought out reference. Yeah, it's it's just so funny because it it feels clear to me now, but I just never put aside the time to think about it. Um, but yeah, so this, th- what's funny is we're spending so much time on this one when the real highlight of the song that is the most quoted is no one in the world ever gets what they want and that is beautiful. Everybody dies. Uh, stay with me here. Every- what? <laughs> Everybody Why dies. Why am I just finding this out now? Everybody dies frustrated and sad and that is beautiful. Nonsense lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> Wacky, silly guys. They like to be silly and weird. Um, what do you think of those lyrics? It's a big, it's a loaded question. I think they're depressing and accurate. I think that's really all we need to say. I don't want to ruin those lyrics by overdoing it about them. 
to me, that's, that's, that's sort of the, it's kind of a sexy song. If you think about it, go on. It's, there's a lot of sexual connotations in it. You know, um, I don't get around how you get around the, he's saying you're a cat, you know, you, you know what I'm that saying? That has to be about a girlfriend then. Yeah, probably. Daughter. What's wrong with you? But see the line, the words I'm singing now mean nothing more than meow to me indicates when a, you're a parent is going like, you don't even hear and hear right. what I'm saying, you little shit. Like the, <laughs> like the peanuts. Wah, wah, yeah, Trump, Trump. There, there you go. Exactly. It's like, a, it's almost like too good a song. I don't want to talk too much about it in a weird way. We don't have to. Yeah. Uh, but I love it. Um, the only other thing I'll say is, so if this is about another relationship, so that's... Yeah, well, that's Linnell. You two, yeah, Linnell, two songs on? in four out of four that are about... Relationship, relationship troubles. It makes you wonder. I, I think his about next one is too. The next one coming up for his on the personal album. life. Um, I know. I don't want to do that because I. I always imagine if they were to hear this, they would cringe at those kinds of things. So I, I want to assure anyone listening, or uh, I, it's it's just a, we're just having fun. Just an observation, but again, I I go back to it's really hard uh, even to write as an unreliable narrator mm. without having some kind of experience yourself it's a weird thing but it's songs just kind of reflect what's going on well it's just funny also because you if going back to that alien aspect where it's like you don't think of them as having personal lives or having these kinds of relationships yeah i mean i'm being almost outside of all of that yeah i mean we, we haven't really talked too much about the cover but this is a cover this album cover screams do not bother us about our personal life right. <laughs> they are cartoons on the back, uh, we, we mentioned that in the last episode, they're in a little parade. There's all these weird little sign gags, kind of like a precursor to the Simpsons sign gags in a way, but they're a little more surreal. Um, uh, what's your favorite sign gag? I really like truth or sandwiches. I think that's very, that's interesting. There was one that was cracking me up. Um, Is it that they're good, that people are going into that guy's butt? No, Jordan. Don't miss our donuts. <laughs> thought that was pretty funny. That is good. So, so yeah, I guess the point being they're, they're not trying to portray themselves as these sensitive artists who pour their souls exactly into these lyrics and who are kind of making a important, meaningful, emotional songs. But this is actually a huge topic to talk about, Yeah, but uh, maybe I'll save it for later. So let's move on to track number five. Hideaway Folk Family. This begins the group of four weird songs. See, I, I would say it's a single. The only reason. Uh-oh. First uh, argument. First <laughs> that we've lovers, ever had. First lover's spat. Um, to me. It's kind of a weird song, Jordan. Oh, sure. But I guess it's more that it's, it's, it's uh, chunky. It's three minutes. To me, the weirdness is defined by so, such small, <laughs> the short lengths of the songs uh, shouts out to me like, this is a weird, you know. Yeah, but it's also a yeah. It's a strange. It's three minutes of a weird song. <laughs> it's a strange song. Um, I mean, sure, not as weird as other things on the album or even in their career. But going from a single like "Don't Let Start" to yeah. "Hideaway Folk Family" is a bit of a, a changing gears. I guess. I guess we'll. I kind of agree. I kind of agree. Um, All right. One thing I'm weirdly obsessed with in this song is the kick drum. So. The kick drum pattern is something that, for some reason, my ears always tune into when I play it. So it goes like this. 
bump, 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 bump. That pause. Mm-hmm. I love that. I don't know. I find it like so interesting. <laughs> Dave doesn't really have opinions about it. A little kick drum pattern, but so I not for, this kick drum. It's pattern. just it's weird. It's a subtle thing. I'm not saying maybe I'm not saying. The I've first. had many opinions on kick drum patterns, That's especially true, when mixing albums. <laughs> um, but I just really love the that that pause. You know, it, it feels right, so right for the song, and I always get distracted by it. Well, that's the whole thing about this one. It's to to me. Mm-hmm. It starts the unsettling nature of things being a little bit off. Yeah, and this is this is a song I, I truly can't interpret. Um, I I do think it's some of Flansburg's most scary. And this song is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's scary. It's it's not uh, it's not a nice thing going on. It's also the first song with accordion on the album. Did you know that? Boom. Truth bomb. <laughs> A couple things. I did look up who Leslie Down is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because the bridge of the song is Flansburg. Um, so local... Uh, he's he's saying... Uh, news personality? He's a British... No, okay. He's not a local <laughs> news personality. So Leslie Down is a woman. <laughs> she is not a local... She is a, news. an English... Well, I, I guess I was thinking like Leslie Nielsen. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> it's Leslie Nielsen. Um... And don't call me Leslie Down. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Down is a, is an English actress, former model, and singer. And I I don't know why they picked her to to reference. Hello, this is Leslie Down with the Daily Home Astrology Report. I was looking through the Wikipedia trying to get some sort of a, a connection. Well, I guess this is the first reference that maybe isn't on sequitur then. Before 85 or so, which is when I assumed they were writing the song. Let's see, she's in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Pink Panther Strikes Again. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Guys, if, if anyone has any insight into why Flansburg is referencing Leslie Down, I want to know. This is a good time to to say our contact info. Uh, if you know anything about Leslie Down or why Flansburg is referencing her, or if you want to have any feedback about the podcast, you can email us at don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. Spelled exactly how it sounds. Don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. And you can send us questions about anything yes. under the sun. If it's about the podcast, if it's about our personal lives. Yeah. Ask us questions, we will answer them, and it, it'll be fun in a future episode to go through and some we'll, uh, emails. We'll probably, yeah, we'll probably be reading them on the air, yeah, as it were. So you could have your question read on a podcast. Can you even believe such a thing? It's exciting stuff. 2018. So, <laughs> um, Dave, did you have any... Uh, the other thing I was going to say about this song sure. is, uh, <laughs> it, it goes back to when you and Daniel were trying to get me into it. Um, this was one of the, like I said, creepier songs that uh unsettled me i thought speaking of misheard lyrics that he was saying or else someone's gonna get shot <laughs> and i was like jesus wait at what point <laughs> you know where he's like or else someone's gonna get you oh get you yeah okay i see yeah someone's gonna get shot i was like Ugh. yeah <laughs> scary yeah it's it, i love that it kind of reminds me of when it rains it snows yeah where there's a, a vague sense of of uh, terror and dread <laughs> you dread is a better word yeah um it's I, not that vague it's pretty it's, it's omnipresent not, not that vague <laughs> i i yeah i love it um i think the uh 
Well, yeah, contemplate domestic turmoil is like kind of spells it out to me. See, that's another relationship thing. Yeah, contemplate domestic turmoil. I do. I, I do. All the time. I do. So, yeah, and then the, I guess we, sh- we should probably note the backwards singing at the end, the fake backwards singing. When I was younger, I thought that was like the most clever, funniest thing. Then you uh, discovered the Beatles. Well, yeah. Well, the idea that they're playing off the Beatles, they're they're parodying psychedelic uh, music by by doing fake, uh, fake, fake, fake psychedelic music is interesting. I'm just. This is the one where uh, when we saw them that they, in New York and they actually made the live first album live CD out of. Yes. This is the one where Linnell says, uh, "Yasmine Bleeth." Meryl Streep. I don't know what you're talking about. At the about. end of it as fake backward stuff. I've never noticed him doing that, but that's pretty hilarious. So the next song is another scary song. Exactly. And it's called uh, 32 Footsteps. Steps leading to the room where the paint doesn't want to dry. Thirty-two footsteps running on the road where the dirt reaches the sky. Thirty-two feathers in my brain. This is kind of a. This, I don't think I ever told you this, but uh, a, a year. You killed someone. <laughs> a year or so ago, I was working at uh, as an intern at Dubway Studios. It's a music studio in in Manhattan, and. I was tasked with counting how many steps there were from huh. one room to another because they were going to move a piano and they they we had to I had to tell the piano movers the how many steps. I think they were just trying to keep you busy. Probably. And uh it was 32 and I creepy. I went to the owner of the studio, Al, and I said it's 32 footsteps just like the they might be giant song and his response was I recorded that song. Wow. And I went, oh. <laughs> and then I saw his name in the liner notes. That's crazy. And I said, I said, oh, I'm, they're my favorite band. I'm, wow. I've, and then I tried to think of a thing to talk about. So I said, man, the harmonica in that song is crazy. And he said, I remember. <laughs> and I oh, just, we got to get him on the show. I've thought about that. Um, Al, are you listening? <laughs> probably not. But yeah, so that so that's uh, that was just something that popped in my head. Um, this is a song that is very stripped down. Like if you really listen, it's bass, the drum beat, which is weird, the harmonica, and there is I think there is accordion, very kind of quietly, and that's it, yeah. and that that's it, and the vocal. But I, again, I've never thought of it as stripped down. I think I think when you make the music, you I see why they think of it as that. My favorite They Might Be Giant song is the ones that I don't know what they're about. Because that's an amazing thing to to be confused, and I love not understanding something. I love not feeling like I'm smarter than the the thing I'm listening to or watching, whether it's a movie or. I hate not knowing what something's about. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's like nothing gets my imagination going more, and and you know, it's not that I. I mean, I would love an interview where he said, "This is what the song's about." Like, I think part of me would love that. Part of me wouldn't love that. And I think they understand that. I think they know not to do that too much, uh, though the times they have are always so exciting. We talked about the song a little bit in the past, and I think I, I don't know if you remember, I told you I thought it was about a murder. Yeah, really? And you said something like, why do you think this song specifically is about murder? Did I, I remember I threw you up against the wall <laughs> and I said, a murder? And you said, why? And I, 
Only because um, the line 32 boxcars, all of them have your face. For some reason, boxcars, I guess, just remind me of murder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's like when hobos would ride the rails and maybe get in a murder it's, hobo it, fights. It's a grimy song. Um, yeah. I, and all of them have your face. So it, to me, it's like someone did something uh, that they're being haunted by yeah. and they're seeing it everywhere. And maybe the boxcars where that's the so evidence funny. was hidden. But again, we don't want to talk about I interpreting the, songs. I took that line as super literal. <laughs> I, didn't, I never took that line as like a Hitchcockian, like I'm seeing the person everywhere because I'm guilty. I literally saw boxcars with people faces. Um, I mean, that's cool too. Hey, look, who's to say, right? Um, yeah, I, I one thing that is interesting to me, and the only hint I've they've got given is that there is a live show. It's it's a, I think it's Doctor Spock's backup band, which is a bootleg that the fans compiled, and it's a very high quality show from like '92, like right around Apollo 18. Um, but before playing the song, and it's the first time it's a full band version of the song, which is really interesting. Linnell says, when we're not feeling creepy enough, we play this song. I can probably throw in a clip there, but I just said it. <laughs> when we're not feeling creepy enough, we, we play this song. So to me, that's like, oh, so he knows it's creepy. Because <laughs> sometimes yeah. I don't know if they know. Sometimes I don't know if they know how people hear what they're doing. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't the fucking boxcar thing. It was the floorboard thing. Oh, sure. Because the floorboard thing is reminding me of the Telltale Heart. Yeah. Uh, by Edgar Allan Poe. So I was wondering, yeah, if it was like a body hidden we should start floorboards a or something. I, that's probably the only thing I know about him. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. That's what it was. I mean, both, regardless, both of those things, you can hide bodies in. Yeah. And it's really unsettling. Well, well, again, it's sort of, I said before, the, the next Linnell song is also a relationship strife. And, and it's like, where's, what's the reason why'd she go? Where's my baby? I don't know. To me, he doesn't know where she is because he murdered her. This is a podcast where we're not going to interpret their songs. Yeah, it's really hard. Not I, to. I, so I, I'll put it out there again. We are not perfect. And uh, I, you know, even if I say this is a podcast where I'm going to do this or not do that, I, you can't hold me to any of that because we're kind of we're this is this is the early stages. We're still figuring it out. We'll try not to. But yeah, it's just it's so it's irresistible. Fun. It is fun. We don't really do it much. You know, we were kind of saving it for the for when we were recording. So it is fun. Um, this is a song that is sort of similar to what I said about Flansburg, which is Linnell is doing a funny voice. And this is sort of the first song where Linnell, the other songs he's singing in is what I would just call his genuine singing style. And uh, this one, he's doing a funny, scary voice. And this is something that is another, yet another thing that as a fan, I have no real reaction to it. It's normal to me. But if you play it for someone and they hear someone doing a exaggerated, funny, it's... Because, yeah, most of the they'll time... They'll burst out laughing or they'll leave the room. Most of the time, vocalists don't have, like, voices that they put on uh, to do to <laughs> sing different songs for. Like, maybe with the exception of, like, Frank Black or someone like that who will do not necessarily a character voice, but he'll do a falsetto. He'll do his regular singing voice. He'll do yeah. a more talk, talky kind Frank of Black, vocalist. He, Frank Black absolutely fascinates me with the way he... He'll do voices, but they don't feel... They all feel real. They're all still linked to what his yeah. singing style is. What I mean is, is like, so like a Pix, the Pixies Frank Black voice, which can often be a little, almost like higher in register or sometimes softer when he's, it's not the yelling parts, you know, that feels real. 
the Frank Black and the Catholics Frank Black, where he's kind of a lower, more baritone, right, and it's more, more, like more of a rocky kind of, that feels real. More of a country. And the the other stuff where he's singing, so, it all feels real. Whereas with They Might Be Giants, there's this... Um, this is a decision, I think, to be a totally different person. There's definitely a wall of irony up that... I, I'm so interested in in the times that they kind of break through it or that they're not singing these songs like they're sentimental and it's not that they are sentimental, but it's such a huge part of their appeal to me is, is this kind of um, a refusal to be, to wear the emotions on your sleeve in the singing, you know, except for, and you know, there's other in the future that are, you could say are like this. Do you ever wonder why, certain voices are picked for certain songs. So for example, was there a <laughs> discussion that took place where they said uh, this vocal is going to sound like this or did he try doing yeah. it in just a sort of a normal Did he surprise Flansburg when they pressed record? <laughs> or did I mean I Or did they sit down and say, "You know, this song I'm going to uh, maybe he sent him a demo that maybe it's all revealed in the the you know, transferring of the demos to each other, which is kind of what I would guess." Because I'm just wondering if he sung this song through in a regular voice and then someone decided, oh, this this song has something missing to it. It needs to be... Yeah, it's... God, I, I think about this a lot. Um, I also love... I mean, it kind of goes in with that, but Flansburg's voice on the song is, is right along there. The bing, bang, bing along. It doesn't even sound like him. And then the no, the no, no at the end. Um, I kind of miss that aspect of them. They don't do that so much anymore. They they keep things kind of straight, at least when it comes to the vocals. They definitely get more experimental over with each album with sounds and instruments, I, I think it's fair to say. But the vocals are this, uh, I, I said it before, I love the word grotesque. They're kind of a grotesque, you know, alarming. <laughs> I think lately they've gone back to that a little bit. Yeah, the maybe they're finding that again. Out. The more rare songs, I would say. But so yeah, I, I guess we can move on. Uh, that's thirty of ups. I love. I love the vibe. I love. You know, I give it a C plus. <laughs> What's next? Toddler Highway. Now I can't even really play a clip of this because it would encompass <laughs> almost the, the entire. Song. I'll play a few seconds of it. In the morning sun, around seven o'clock, the parking lot fills round toys are us. Another weird one. Yeah, Toddler, This so this to me starts the Flansburg, it's almost like an Abbey Road album uh, kind of Flansburg suite of weirdness. Obviously there's Linnell songs in between, but this really is like the start of Flansburg being like, I'm going to do anything I want on this album. <laughs> um, Toddler Highway is, is fascinating to me. I, it's interesting to me that they said, so it's, I'm pretty sure it's identical to the demo album version. But they said they tried and tried and tried to improve upon it for the first album and yeah. nothing ever worked. Did they add instruments? Did they, what did they do? I'm, I would love to hear that. I think some of uh, what they did with it live maybe would be the answer to that. Where they, they when, um, The puppets, the avatars of they sung it and they added extra Oh lyrics. my God, that's right. I forgot that that and, happened. And they added like another They verse. made it a longer song. So I'm just wondering maybe that it was a longer song at first that they just pared down. I remember feeling that was like a monumental moment seeing them add a, a verse to this song from like 1986 or earlier. So maybe that's where it was from and they, that's what they tried to add. Maybe they dug it up again. 
who can say? In some freedom on our wheels, cracking the road. Semi-engines idle and the trucks unload. By the punch card box, she writes her name. And here's a voice coming through the store PA. We need a rascal to information. Yeah, you know, I don't know much about what in inspired the song, except the, I guess the obvious. Maybe it's like a childhood kind of memory thing, or maybe he saw a commercial. <laughs> I was actually trying to find on YouTube the Toys R Us in question in the song in Massachusetts. People think it's a specific one, and I was trying to find any sort of YouTube commercial for it, but I could not find it. I think there is something funny about the idea of the close and play, which is that it only works when the lid is closed. That's a record player that only works when you close it. Interesting. I, I feel like this could almost be some sort of inching towards a thematic thing, but I don't know what. Or it could just be, again, non sequitur. Yeah. That's the mystery. I think non sequitur is like a nice way of saying nonsense. So I'm, I'm good with that. I mean, I think that makes more sense. I think that that's a word they would use rather than nonsense. So Dave, what's your favorite line in Toddler Highway? <laughs> okay, so anyway, the, the next song is uh, Rabbit Child. Rabbit child stays at home, talks on a CV. This is, again, part of the flans, flans-a-thon, flans a of weird little scary <laughs> uh, songs. This is the fourth in the weird succession. Song. Okay, I hear, I hear you. Uh, I still don't know if I, I buy it, but... Oh, you'll see. By the end of the series, all will be revealed. So this is this song. I think uh, to me, it's the most Residence inspired because Flansburg is a massive fan of the Residence. Um, I've tried to listen to them, and I kind of struggled, to be honest. Um, though I, I have nothing but respect for what they're doing. Yeah, it's tough. It's, t but um, this to me feels like a more. Uh, it's funny to say this about Rabbit Child. It's like a more accessible <laughs> residence song, which I, I guess they might be giants are kind of the more ex early. They might be giants is like the more accessible residents because I, I think they can't help but want to be super melodic and, and uh, you know, pleasurable to listen to. So, yeah, Rabbit Child. Oh, I wrote it as Rapid Child <laughs> in my notes. I, I can see that. Oh, boy. This is another song that to me used to be like, it's, it's completely weird lyrics, but then it's like, okay, it's a, I, I didn't understand the CB radio thing. Not, yeah. not saying that I totally do. Cause this is a thing that I've never really, uh, looked into. Dabbled in. No, I've never dabbled. Um, something on the Wikipedia that really surprised me that I didn't know. And I kind of feel insecure that I didn't know. Oh, Jordan, you piece of shit. It's a, it's apparently a thematic parody. I'm quoting of teddy bear by red. Sovine? So Sovine? I don't know this artist. Looks like Red Sovine. So yeah, he's got a song about a child who is like disabled or and speaks in a CB radio to people passing by. The old CB was barring away on channel one nine when there came a little boy's voice on the radio line. And he said, Breaker one nine, is anyone there? Come on back, truckers, and talk to you. And it's kind of, but it's uplifting. In the well, so exactly in the case of that song, it's it's apparently it's kind of like a a cheesy 
So with that song, it's apparently a little more of like a sentimental song, you know, like, isn't this beautiful that this young lad will, but. Uh, Sounds pretty stupid Flan- to me. Flan- <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that kid. <laughs> but you see, I get lonely and it helps to talk because that's about all I can do. I'm crippled and I can't walk. Flansburg turns it into a, a kind of a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I love that. I, I love that about it. I, you know, when I thought it was just random lyrics that I didn't understand it, I thought Hammer Down, Rabbit Ears was the epitome of randomness. I was like, they're right. just random words, but they actually refer to CB radio terms. What What are your thoughts about this song? I realize I'm rambling on. I, I want to know what a rabid child is. Is it a child that has rabies? Is it a child that's precocious? And over energetic, or is it just a CB handle, and it it's just a joke, or something? Is it the code name of someone? Right. You know, I uh, I think he wrote it assuming anyone, because I know what he's uh, his motivations are. Uh, I think you know anyone listening would their brain would almost involuntarily jump to an image of a literal rabid child. That's what I do. I think of like a baby foaming at the mouth. Yeah, with sharp teeth. Yeah. Also, an, another reject logo we were thinking of. Right. For our, yeah, and the song is is also interesting. It's the it's the it's the second song in their in their uh, you know in their repertoire to reference chess piece face. You know, oh. a, aside from the song itself. We'll wait till we talk about that. Yeah. Look, Flansburg. This album is a horror show of, <laughs> of Flansburg characters that are, yeah. you know, the I, I could have seen an Avengers team up of all these. It's freakish like little character, fucking David Lynch movie. Yeah, so, so yeah, they've referenced his his friends, the big Duluth chess piece face, and it's like again, so it's like, well, is chess piece face, it's the same question: is it a person with a, as you know? Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, I'll tell but, you my, but um, theory. So I think that's kind of funny that he references it. I, I love that it's like on Flansburg's mind so much that. It, well, it's has, also starting to become more of a mythology now. They're becoming self-referential. They're becoming self-aware. Yeah, um, yeah. They're 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 um, they're cementing their what they're about, you know, and which is something that's kind of intangible and hard to describe. Which is what I love about the bands, you know. Again, I, I love things that I don't understand. I love, you know, it seems like in like these days, especially with Twitter, and you you sort of see the dumbest opinions on social media if there's a thing in a movie like a, a youtube video goes up going like you know phantom thread explained and it's like you don't need to yeah everything's explained these days yeah everything's explained and or to, to the best of some person's ability explained i don't understand that okay i guess i understand wanting an explanation but i don't understand wanting it to the extent that you get one i think you should you know, luxuri- I say it again, luxuriate. <laughs> that's the word of the day, but that's the word of the episode. In the in the mystery, you know, like David Lynch, you just mentioned him, like he says, if you're looking at an abstract painting, you don't need to explain it. He said a part of you understands it. Yeah. And I, I, I feel the same way about They Might Be Giant songs. I really do. I think a part of you feels what's, what's going on and you don't need, you don't need a literal story, though I, I do think it's fun to find the reference points. The only other thing we should mention for Rabbit Child is is the the music video. <laughs> yeah. Which is this just for for a they might be giants fan that that music video is like a a treasure that is lost and and the holy grail. And Flansburg has refused to <laughs> release it. There's a clip of it in the documentary. I'd love to do an episode where we talk about the documentary or do 
commentary for the documentary. That'd yeah, be we fun. will. Um, there's that that clip of it. I mean, my heart like stopped. You know, in the theater, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and I. I don't even remember like the next minute after in that movie because <laughs> I just just like wait wait go go back to go back. Um, I'm due for a rewatching. Yeah, um, I, I think it's also funny that they made a music video as if it was like a single. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of says a lot. That chart topping hit. Yeah, exactly. It's the same joke that's in Hey Mr. DJ where right. Linnell lists off the most inaccessible Flansburg songs as hit singles. Um, so, so that's Rabbit Child. Um, we're, we're one third through this. <laughs> this is unprecedented. And now we get back into the singles. Okay. So now nothing's going to change my clothes. Four singles again. To me, this, this is uh, definitely a favorite. Uh, I think it's an unbelievably great side one ender, which I know that they really intentionally planned for that. Is that the end of side one? It's the end of side one. And I do believe it's the end of the demo album. It's like the end end of their first right. demo. It's, it's, a, it's an ending song. All the people are so happy now. Their heads are caving in. I'm glad they are a snowman with protective rubber skin. But every little thing's a domino. I freaking love it. It was my, I talked about the yearbook quote for a reason. Because I just, I, for me, this was kind of the same thing as Don't Let's Start. Where I was like, I can't believe a song can be this good. Like, like it's not like I don't love like Rabbit Child and stuff like that. But, but songs like this um, were were kind of another level to me of like what melody can do and, and lyrically too. And the whole arrangement, um, this is a song about corpses. Tell me more. <laughs> um, I, I actually got once into a, a little debate on the Facebook group. Cause I think someone was like, it's not about corpses. And I, I just said, well, you know, here's the lyrics and you know, what's your evidence. Okay. So evidence exhibit a defend your life. Exactly. <laughs> So it's like it's about a cemetery. I mean, where nothing changes your clothes. I mean, it's it's un, it's uncomfortable to think about. <laughs> but uh, when you're dead, you're you're not going to change your clothes ever anymore. I right? think that's maybe the only upside of being dead. Yeah, <laughs> who has the time? I hate no more out laundry and outfit in the morning. And I basically wear the same thing every day already. That's true. That not to be not to be gross. But the people are happy now because their heads are caving in is, uh. a, is a funny, disgusting joke. I mean, it's, 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 it's this not is bumming me it's out. <laughs> reoccurring thing with They Might Be Giants is the idea of the grinning skull, right? Right. And the, the part of the joke in saying grinning skull is it's like a few of layers of a joke when one is that a skull doesn't have a emotion and it's only grinning and I beg to differ, sir. <laughs> It's only grinning in in the sense that you know it's it like, like it's it. like if your dog goes upside down and her mouth like flops over and she looks like she's smiling. Oh, she's her mouth. Thinking about my dog. Yeah, but um, <laughs> so you know, there that's part of that. They're the the people are happy. Their their heads are caving in. Um, glad they are a snowman with protective rubber skin. Uh, now I love how the snowman imagery goes with the imagery on the first album when you open up the album, the vinyl. On you know the, you see the little drawing of the snowman kind of running, yeah, I love that, which drawing. is hilarious. I read recently that Flansburg, uh, it's a drawing he he took from somewhere, but he adjusted the face to make it more of an ambiguous yeah. expression because <laughs> it was a happy face, which to me is hilarious. The idea of the snowman being like the embodiment of cold, dead, you know, it's it's the 
This ain't your granddaddy's frosted yeah, snowman. This is a, this is a you know. This well, is they also have thing. that image of the uh, snowman being warmed by the money. <laughs> yeah, and melting. It's and yeah, obviously it's going to melt when it's mixed yeah. with fire. Well, snowman. I mean, Frosty the snowman is a douche. When I was, that's not where I was going with that. But when I was little, it's like it is weird about this weird inevitability of death because it's yeah. like you know that winter is not going to last forever. You know that the sun is going to come out and he's going to melt. And I remember being. <laughs> unsettled by it when I was little and but I think it's like a good well as an adult though you realize he kind of deserved to die because yeah he wasn't a he great stepped guy. on a lot of toes truth bombs so so, so yeah it's the snowman imagery I mean that's kind of why I picked the episode one title not to get too deep into it but um brilliantly said by me <laughs> so yeah I, I love the lyrics you know dancing skeleton with the flesh to me this song is it really embodies, no pun intended. It embodies what they're um, what they're about. This is kind of a, a mission statement song to me. Nothing smelling like a rose, but I don't care if no one's coming up for air, because I know nothing's gonna change my clothes. This is this is a song to me where I wouldn't be surprised if when Linnell wrote it, he's like, oh. More of this, <laughs> you know. I've had moments like that in making music or film or whatever, where I go, "Oh, this really worked. This is a thing that I'm, you know, happy to show people." They struck on something here. Yeah. So to me, this is like more songs about corpses, more, you know, more kind of funny, dark, you know, macabre lyrics. Um, nothing smelling like a rose. Can you yeah. guess? That's the line I remember saying in that Facebook group. I was like, what do you think that's referring to? Um, it's kind of like when you realize uh, Ring Around the Rosie is about <laughs> the bubonic plague. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's like almost, I wouldn't be surprised if that was an influence for them. I mean, I could see little kids dancing around singing this song, you know, <laughs> I don't, nothing smelling like a rose. I don't care if no one's coming up for air. Well, why do you think that is? I know nothing's going to change my clothes ever anymore. And then what I love in a way is that the rest of the lyrics, he just repeats. It's just, <laughs> it's just a double of, because the point has been made, you know, case closed. I think there is another layer to the song as well, though, where um, just the phrase, nothing's going to change my clothes is kind of like also being confident um, in the kind of way that you're living your life. So, so on one level, it might be this song is about the inevitability of our demise and the end, but it's also about being comfortable with that knowledge. Sure. And and having uh, confidence and well, even though I kind have of your your extra savoir faire, kind of like I'm 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 confident in <laughs> in who I am, kind of thing. Well, yeah, it's like once you have the knowledge and you come to peace with it, you can be the most you. Yeah. That you ever will be. Yeah, wow. That's see I love I love this. This is great. Also, have you ever seen my fleshy overcoat? I do. I was is, you got that at Goodwill? <laughs> I think that's the grossest way to describe a human body that's ever been Props said. to Mr. Linnell. He did it. A skeleton in a fleshy overcoat. A furry hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To me it's funny. Yeah, it's your it's eyes elastic are just mask. Nice. It's, it's Linnell is it, you know, I always I was just saying this to someone when David Byrne writes lyrics, it's kind of like an alien yeah. observing humanity. Linnell is almost, it's like almost something, a step. <laughs> in some, Beyond. Yeah. It's not even like an alien because even aliens you'd think would die and become <laughs> corpses. 
it's almost, I don't even know. Um, I love the, the, yeah, the outside observation of these things that happen to humans is endlessly, you know, entertaining to me. I love the way that it starts with that sort of a standard jazz um, hi-hat yeah. timing, <laughs> kind of put into overdrive and made into this crazy song. Yeah. I also think, I mean, I think that's a really intentional sure. uh, choice to be like, we're going to, as They Might Be Giants does a lot when they turn something upside down, we're going to take this standard kind of a way to start a song and write a crazy song about humanity. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's, that's all that also kind of furthers another point about interpreting, which is that it's not just the lyrics. It's the, the whole thing. It's the way the person sings it. It's the way the arrangement, every aspect of a song. I know that I try to do this. Every aspect of a song is, is telling you about, you know, the, the, every song is its own thing and every part of it is important. So, yeah, the, the jazz thing is funny because jazz percussion is supposed to have a kind of a swing. Yeah, it's lively. But it's <laughs> the robotic way that it, it, it's in the song is hilarious. The horrifying scream at the end yeah. of the song. I think we should mention that. Um it's funny and <laughs> it's scary. I mean, the first album is is I'd say out of all their albums, it's kind of like a horror show. I feel like they didn't get back to that kind of thing until they did that uh that EP of the Spine Surfs Alone is is you know, mm. the kind of like there's a really yeah. a thematically scary vibe, like a Halloween vibe, as, yeah. as they you know, one would say. One memory I have of this song that really jumps out is I was in gym class in high school and I, and the song came on on my Discman that I was listening to. <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> and uh, look at this guy and his Discman. And this girl that I've never spoken to before uh, walked up to me and said, "What are you listening to?" Because we were all bored. This is what she sounded like. Okay. Uh, <laughs> take my word. Uh, we were all bored and just sitting around while people were like playing baseball. And imagine you. <laughs> giving the this average happened. person a sample of they might be giants so and what they I would think of especially head- in high school she reached out her hand and i took my headphones off and i uh gave them to her and it was in the middle of nothing's gonna change my clothes and she burst out laughing yeah and what's funny this is the same point but i they're very funny if you don't know what what they're doing. The, the yo, it's it's a funny voice. It's cartoony. It's funny, but it's not to me. The song is not funny. You know, it's dry and it has wit to it. it has like again, like macabre. See, to have an outside person uh, react that way is is kind of eye opening. Um, I actually told that story to the filmmakers of gigantic the documentary because i was hand selected to remember this to tell an anecdote to the camera and i told that story and i didn't even make the extra features on the dvd <laughs> i thought it was a good story um where, where was i that day I didn't where were that. you we'll talk about that crazy that was a crazy day but uh so listen this has gone really long this is <laughs> there's a lot to talk about you're telling me um we're going to split this into two parts because we're halfway through the album. I can't believe how much there is to say about it. I'm though I'm very happy that there is so much to say. I'm excited about it. And we're going to we're going to see you next week, right? Uh, Dave, is there any thoughts about the side 1 of of They Might Be Giants that you you want to you want to end with? I just think it's a really impressive uh first venture into what they're about. Um, I think, like I said, it's a mixture of like really melodic um, hits 
singles mixed with really weird, crazy, um, esoteric songwriting. Kooky. Um, and it, I, but you know what? I think that's the mixture that works so well for them. Yeah. So that was great. And, um, we will see you soon where we talk about the rest of the album because we don't want to, uh, we don't want to keep you all day and all night. Yeah, you got you guys have stuff to do. You have stuff to do. You though. had that thing you had to get to, and you know we've been keeping you. So we're gonna keep going too in depth into the album <laughs> next time uh, with the remaining songs. I'm very excited to talk about those. When we said in depth, we meant it, people. I think uh, Jordan even exceeded what I was thinking he was gonna do. So it's <laughs> it's kind of cool because <laughs> I never had to think this much. About a band. Oh, it, it hurts, doesn't it? Remember, you can contact us. Please send us letters. It'd be very fun to read letters. Uh, nice letters. Uh, I don't <laughs> don't be mean because I'm sensitive. I'll read anything. I, I think it's kind of funny, whatever you send. And I'm really curious what... Uh, we're doing this in kind of a vacuum, and I have no idea what people think of it, and I'd be very yeah. interested. Yeah, and a vacuum is really all you can afford in New York City to live in. We'll read them on air. We'll answer them if they're a serious question. Even if they're not a serious question. So we, we need stuff to fill, fill these episodes up with. So, so write us. That's don't let start podcast at gmail.com. Okay. So until next time, and now the podcast is over now. And now the podcast is over now. The podcast is over now. The podcast is over now.